0: Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Shalom. It's a word that has such richness and meaning in the lives of God's people. We loosely translate the word as peace, but it means so much more than that. In our generation, lack of conflict, lack of apprehension, we treat this as though it's peace. When we can make the bad things cease for a little while, We treat that as though it's somehow peace. But shalom is much more than that. Shalom is a word that is meant to describe the rightness of everything. The full integration of our past and our future and our present. The full integration of our lives with the world around us. It means living in a right relationship with everything. If one of our Hebrew brothers and sisters should come to you and say, Shalom, understand that what they mean is they want everything for you. It's a blessing not to be taken lightly. This week, in our Songs of Enduring Faith series, we look at a psalm which, while it doesn't mention the word Shalom, Shalom, uh, per se, is all about the idea of shalom. The 126th psalm is a psalm that is uh, part of the pilgrim psalms. That is to say, there was a a certain set of songs in our book of psalms that were meant to be sung on the pilgrim journey from wherever you lived toward Jerusalem. For even those in close proximity to Jerusalem... This pilgrim journey could take two or three days or more. There would be a meeting place and an entire village would gather out and they would spend a night under the stars to start the journey. Because there is all kinds of law among God's people about being prohibited from coming to to worship, being prohibited from coming to the temple, being declared unclean if you inadvertently spent the night in the home of a leper or someone else who was unclean before the law. And so by sleeping outdoors, they took away many of of the possibilities that they would violate the law and not then be able to make the pilgrimage. And these songs were sung by the pilgrims as they made their way to Jerusalem. And I absolutely love the first verse of the 126th Psalm. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Another translation for that is when all of God's exiled people got to come home again. We were like people who dream. Think of it this way. When UCLA finally beat USC, we were like a people who dream. No, nothing even remotely that superficial. We're talking about the full restoration of a life that had once been lost. Exiled people coming home. You have in your mind, those of you who are old enough to remember, that iconic picture of the sailor dipping a strange woman in Times Square in order to give her a kiss because victory in World War II had just been declared. The enemy had surrendered. Our boys and girls were coming home. And the nation was now ready to move on to something else An entire nation became like a people who were dreaming, and oh, what happened after that time of dreaming in this country. We had invented all kinds of new things in order to meet the demands of a brand new war unlike any other war there had been. And in the aftermath of that war, we set our sights on making the peace time as beautiful and bountiful as the war had been terrible. We accomplished so much over the next couple of decades. In the realm of our social cultures, we finally had a breakthrough moment, began to understand civil rights as the important thing that it was supposed to be. We set out and we reached for the stars and we began to get there. We put men from this country on another body in space and brought them home safely again. And we thrilled to hear a president say, we choose to do these and the other things not because they are easy, but precisely because they are hard. We challenged ourselves to dream bigger dreams, to live out loud, to to go forward into the world that God would help us make. I don't know if we got tired, I don't know if we gave up. I don't know if we forgot to raise our kids right. And by the way, let me just say if you are part of the greatest generation that uh, in American history and there are two or three or four generations that come after you who are not greater than you, at least something has to be laid at the feet of bad parenting, don't you think? I'm just saying. Shalom is the place where we allow our dreams to be let loose in a way that is responsible and powerful to our children's future. Shalom is very hard. Shalom is a full-time job. Shalom is the work of the church. To sing the songs of shalom is an effort that takes a lot of work because finding and keeping shalom in this world is like standing on a beach ball that has been covered in Wesson oil. You fall off so easy. And and this is true in our culture as well as in our church. It's so hard to get there and so easy to slide down. But I want to say as clearly as I can, and as loudly as I can, that it was not always this way. The tension and the conflict, the warring and the wars of words, all the name calling and everything else that seems so normal to us now is not God's normal. He made the world in six days and on the seventh day he took rest and over all of it, not only God, but every angel in heaven said, it is good, baby, it's good. And there was a rightness about all of it. There was a rightness about the work that we were meant to do and there was a rightness about taking our rest from the work, laying down our tools, shutting off the mind, Spending an entire day just flaking out and remembering that we don't have to be God. When's the last time you did that? Now, I'm going to see some spouses nudging other people and saying, you do that every day, don't you? If you haven't had a 24-hour cycle in which you set no goals other than to rest, then I'm going to want to have words with you later today. Because we are curling our toes over the edge of blasphemy when we fail to keep the Sabbath. We are placing ourselves in the place of God. The people who sing the songs of shalom are the ones who remember that they belong to God and that shalom was the world that God made for us. We're his creatures. And he takes delight in us. You're his creatures. He takes such delight in you. And even after Adam and Eve made the fatal mistake of talking to a talking snake, and by the way, if you ever come across a serpent that knows how to speak, may I say in the name of Jesus that the best I can recommend is that you go the other way as quickly as you can that even after the expulsion from the garden, when we now see that we live in a world that has been corrupted, that has been flawed, marred, disfigured slightly, so that it doesn't always reflect God's shalom, even after that occurred, God continued to love you so much that he sent his only son so that whoever believed in him would have life and life everlasting. And that means you, That means God thinks you are worthy. You are so worthy of life and life everlasting. And the the nearest word we can come to to express the joy of that life is shalom. It's shalom. It's the full integration of every human experience. And it's why the psalmists who sang the 126th Psalm not only looked backward to a time when God had restored the fortunes of Zion, but look forward to a time when God will do so again. It's the acknowledgement in these last few verses of this, of this hymn that life in God is not a life of laughter only, but it's a life filled with laughter and tears. A life going, of going out and sowing seeds under a hot sun, and a life of coming home, singing, and bringing our sheaves. It's a life in which we have to work for what we eat, but a life in which God has ordained this world in such a way that if we toil in the fields, we will have food to eat. It's a life in which, at the end of our work, we are invited to lay back with God, to look at the sky, and to dream the mighty dreams of what might come next. I look at what is... Afflicting our world today, and I think we have become a people cut off from history. We live in a a constant state of right now, right now. I need it right now. I don't need it yesterday. I don't need it tomorrow. I need it right now. Would Would you please, please answer that text? Would you please, please answer that email? God forbid it should take you more than three or four hours to get back to me. I need it right now. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because we have not sung this song of God's shalom stretching across the eons, we are seduced into believing that I have to have whatever I want right now in order to be a full person. We don't. We're we're invited by the psalmist to be free from that, to stretch our minds out longer and farther and wider. To sing the song of shalom in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. The song of trust in God. And the song of joy in God. And the song of laughter in God. Even through the veil of our own tears. But it's so hard to keep shalom. Author Ken Shade wrote about how difficult it can be. That we fall off this slippery slope of shalom, even in the church, maybe especially in the church. And we fall in one of two directions, depending on whether we are by nature an aggressive person or a passive person. Whether our primary instinct is to fight or our primary instinct is to flight. And what he says is that we are all keenly aware of those who are peace breakers in the world. You've seen them. You may know one. They barge into whatever room, into whatever meeting is going on, and within 30 seconds they are demanding by some word or action or some Folding of the arms, they are demanding that they become the center of it all, that they become the ones in charge, that they become the ones who get it their way. And if they don't get it their way, then come the threats. I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. Peacebreakers. Sometimes it even escalates to the point of threat and violence and coercion. Peacebreakers. But just as lethal to the life of any healthy church, are peace fakers. The ones who, when they see the peace breakers, want to run, run, run as fast as they can. And instead of stopping and sa- standing and saying, you know, there is a discipline required to live in the life of shalom, there are things that God has given us to do that keep us healthy. That keep our minds in the right place and our bodies disciplined, and our souls and spirits lifted up and buoyed. And instead of saying, "Excuse me, all you peace breakers," but this is not how we live in community. Instead, instead they stop for a minute and they smile and they say yes and they agree and they're so nice. They're so nice. They're, oh, you look great today. And then you turn your back and they say, "Oh my God, did you see what they were wearing?" And whatever they are feeling in their heart never rises to the surface of coming out and being said out loud. Scott Peck, that incredible author, writes about what it means to live in true community. And he said how many of us spend our entire lives and instead of living in true community, we live in pseudo-community. The people who created the serendipity bible study picked up on that idea and they talked about the life cycle of churches and groups and anybody who gathers together they come together in the forming stage and almost immediately there comes after that a storming stage anybody ever had one of those and that's where most people give up let us have a pseudo community let's all agree to be nice after 15 years of being a consultant and an evangelist in the church, one of the most lethal expressions I can find for a church to describe itself is that we're the friendliest church in town. Most of the time, the red flags go off in my mind, because friendly will only get you to pseudo-community. There is this, as Bill Heibel puts it, tunnel of chaos between pseudo-community and Authentic community. Forming, storming, and then a time of norming in which everybody present begins to decide what the new normal is going to be. If we're all going to be in the church together, what does the new normal look like? And everybody gets a say in that. And when we have finished that, then comes the transforming time. From forming to storming to norming to transforming. That's one way of saying it. Another is to say that when we're going to come to shalom with one another and with God's creation, we have to work through our conflicts instead of avoiding them. We have to move through these moments instead of fearing them. We have to gently love our way through them instead of dominating them so that everyone can have a chance to participate. Even those who have yet to be born. Even those who have yet to be born. The Great essayist Wendell Berry says, there are two economies in which we live. There's the economy of whatever company we have started or whatever stockholders we have, of running a good, healthy bottom line, of making sure that my household budget stays within limits, and and attending to all the things that are of interest and importance to me. That's the one economy. But the second economy is the economy of those who sing the song of Shalom. It's the one that remembers that if I keep going at the way I'm going, if we kept doing this for another hundred years, there might not be a world left for the ones who come after. It's the economy that sees where my personal economy fits into the grand scheme of things. It's the economy that remembers that I am not the only generation to be alive on the earth, and there were those who came before who dreamed when God restored their fortunes, and there are those who are going to come after who go out in tears, sowing, and come home singing songs of laughter and joy, as they are bringing in their sheaves. Brothers and sisters, we inherit the legacy of 150 years of God's grace in this very space. Let us resolve today to be singers of the songs of Shalom. Let us resolve to be second economy, people. Let us resolve to stay on top of the beach ball by every which way that we can and neither break the peace nor fake the peace. But remember that Jesus' incarnation itself is the reminder to all of us that faith takes legs, that faith weeps, that faith welcomes that faith forgives, that faith exhorts, that faith admonishes, that faith endures, that faith loves and loves and loves again because we are so well-loved. Breakthrough. Breakthrough the fears. Breakthrough the anxiety. Break through all the stuff that has your mind racing 100 miles an hour. Break through to the other side and realize that simply getting rid of the negatives in our life only brings us halfway home. But we need to add what God is doing to bless us in order to sing the songs of shalom. Amen.